I mentioned in the middle part, this is the series that I've been going through. I started at the beginning of the year. This is sermon number two, and it is part of a series I'm calling the I Am series, and it'll probably take me uh, through most of uh, 2023 as I preach here and there. And this is actually a little bit of a mirror of what Matt has been preaching face-to-face the life of Moses, because you will remember a few months ago that Matt touched on this phrase, I am, that Moses is at the burning bush, and God tells him to go rescue his people, and he says, well, who should I say that has sent me? And God says, I am has sent you, the transcendent God, the eternal God, the God that has no need of anything, is the God that sends him. Uh, And so in the Greek, that term is ego ami, and that is the same phrase that Jesus uses in John chapter 8 seven times. And just to remind you those seven times, you'll recognize some of these. The first one we did was, I am the bread of the life. Today is, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I did a little Google on um, light, and it was fun to learn some things about light. And some of these, most of you will know. Some of it might be new. You know that light is made of energy. It travels in a straight line. And objects in the path of light either bend or refract refract light. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. To give you a little perspective of what that is, if you were to travel at the speed of light, you would go around the Earth seven and a half times in one second. That's pretty amazing. Think about that. If you traveled at the speed of light, you would be able to go around the earth seven and a half times in one second. To give you an idea of our light source on earth, the sun, the light that starts at the sun takes eight minutes to get to earth. And that gives you a little bit of idea how far the sun is away. There are different types of light, right? There are some that are visible, some that are invisible light. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week that uh, you cannot see ultraviolet light. But now they've come up with a surgery. They know the lens in your eye that filters ultraviolet light. You can get that removed so that you can see ultraviolet light. I have a feeling that's not a good idea, but I don't know why it's not a good idea. But if you want to see ultraviolet light, evidently you can do that. I have no idea what benefit that would be to you. Um, I know that it would be cool to get the lens that removes radar, because if you could see radar, now that would be cool. That's a a wave form of light. But um, there's a lot of fascinating things about light. And Jesus this morning is going to make the statement, I am the light of the world. You will see that John 8, 12 is the scripture we'll be in this morning, and it says this. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. 
So we're going to walk through that statement and a little bit of this passage. And I think one of the important things would be to give you a little context of what we're talking about when Jesus makes the statement. Where is he making this statement? Why is that important? And why is it important in this time that he makes it? So John chapter 8 that we're in is a continuation of John chapter 7. The backdrop is actually in John 8, 2, when it says this, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So Jesus is in the temple courts here, and we learn that John chapter 7, we're just coming off of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a very fascinating thing. In the Hebrew, that was translated the Feast of Booths. This is in the fall. This is six months before Jesus would go to the cross. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, it was a remembrance time, and it was a celebration of how God took care of them for 40 years in the wilderness. You remember when they wandered in the wilderness, God protected them, God provided for them, and so what they would do is they would make these little shelters, and that's why it's called the Feast of Booths. They would have these little shelters. They would put them in their backyards or on their roofs or different places, and they would have their meals there. They would camp out in this sometimes. And this feast of tabernacles was eight days long. And so they would remember how God was faithful to them. And if you're like me, some celebrations you like to spread out, and they would often have week or month celebration. I don't know about you if you've taken down your Christmas lights yet, but just so you know, it's time to do that. <laughs> when we first moved to Colorado um, in the first couple of years, we decorated our house and some of the trees with Christmas lights. And in late January, have you ever gotten a letter from your HOA? We got a letter from our HOA and it says you've passed the day of when you're allowed to have your Christmas lights up outside. Now, we're just being a blessing to our community here and the HOA. There is someone that does that, that drives around, who's got their Christmas lights on. Now, some of you need that for when you can play Christmas music. You need someone to tell you when you're allowed to start and when you have to stop with Christmas music. But we, uh, so we ended up taking our Christmas. But thinking about this in the context of Jesus, think about this. The festival is eight days long. This is at the end of the festival, so all the lights, all the decorations, all the things they did to celebrate are still up for this. In the area that Jesus gives this speech, it says in the treasury of the temple. He doesn't just speak these words out of nowhere, and you'll find that Jesus does this a lot. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, Jesus, one of the ceremonial things they had with the pouring of water to remember that water came out of the rock, that's where Jesus says, drink of me, and he does it right in front of these, this ceremony. So this is in the treasury that Jesus, and this is a courtyard. In the tre treasury part of the courtyard, they call it the court of the women, and there was these receptacles. There was 13 of them that they would give. Each one of them had a different function for giving. And um, this is actually the place where later we learned the lady gave her last um, two coins, and Jesus commented on that. That's the, the court of the women. And the reason that uh, we have these different names, the court of the Gentiles was just outside of that. Anyone could come into the court of the Gentiles, but inside of that was only for the Jewish people. 
Then you had the court of the priests, and there was only certain people that were allowed inside that. But this area is where most of the people that were Jewish would gather, so it was a very packed part of the uh, temple. And because of that, it made sense this would be the place where the giving would take place. And so this time of the year, this part of the temple, Jewish literature tells us that they would light four large candelabras in this part of the temple. It would illuminate the temple. As a matter of fact, historians tell us the temple during this time period would be like a beacon in Jerusalem because it was so well lit at night. And this was a celebration, like I said, of the four years in the wilderness where God led them by a cloud by day and he led them by a fire by night. It was his manifest presence that was with them. And so to remember that time, they would light these four candelabras and they would burn them all night, remembering how God took care of them. And it was a stunning vision. And so you can imagine right in front of these candelabras that were cloud by day, fire by night, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. That first light that led you in the wilderness, that was me, he's saying. And the people would have understood this, and it was a big deal. Just as God illuminated your way in the wilderness, he says, I am the greater light. And he's saying this, my light will never go out. My light will never be extinguished. Follow me and you will never walk in darkness. That's the context. You see on the screen, the next part is the claim. So what is he actually claiming when he says that? And I think it's very important that we understand the claim that Jesus is making. And you see that in John chapter 8, 12, it has the claim that he's making, I am the light of the world. We call this the tetragrammaton, the I am claim. And the Pharisees were not happy. As a matter of fact, if you read in verse 13, they say they challenge him and they say, how are you appearing as your own witness your, val your testimony is not valid. Basically, they're saying, you're just boasting. There is no witness to confirm what you are saying. But verse 12, Jesus isn't saying this. He doesn't say, I am a light. And maybe a rabbi might say, I'm a light. He doesn't say, I am a light in Jerusalem. And a teacher might say that, that I have come as a light to Jerusalem. He says, I am the light of the world. This is very exclusive. This is all encompassing of what he is claiming to be. He's claiming to be the Messiah. And the Pharisees knew that was what he was claiming to be. What is this Messiah that Jesus is claiming? And if you go back to the Old Testament, it is over and over what this Messiah would look like. Look at Isaiah 42. This is what Isaiah writes regarding the one that would come to rescue. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose. 
and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nation in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. He repeats it in Isaiah 49. The prophet writes, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be a salvation to the ends of the earth. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the one that would come and rescue the world. But even more than that, he's claiming to be God himself. And I read this at, in the middle part. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And him was life. And that life was the light of men. And this light shines in darkness. In verse 14, Jesus replies to the Pharisees here. And he says, my testimony is true. Because I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where you're going. So when he says, I know where I come from, what is Jesus saying when he says, I know where I come from? He's referencing back to Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember what Genesis chapter 1 says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered over the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water and God said, let there be light and there was light. The condition of the world was formless. The condition of the world was empty and God says, let there be light and light steps in and what was formless now has structure. What was empty is now going to have life that flourishes in it in darkness, it's going to be pushed aside by light. Do you get how significant this claim is? The man standing in front of them is saying, I'm the one who said, let there be light. You know, if I asked this morning you, who invented electricity? I think we would have a lot of answers. Some might think, well, was it Edison or was it Tesla? Not the car, the guy, Tesla. Was it Faraday? Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin? But you know, if you read, electricity is a natural force in our world, right? Nobody invented electricity. But it did have to be discovered, and it did have to be understood. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't discover the light. Jesus didn't put a wick and a candle one day and like, hey, look what I can do. I can make a light. Jesus didn't put a filament in a glass bulb and invent light. He was the light and he spoke and light came into the world. And then Jesus says, I know where I'm going. And this is what I love about the Bible. Genesis 1, let there be light. How does Revelation 22 end? It says this, night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. He will be the light. 
That's where he came from. That's where he's going. He's from the beginning. And he will be at the end because he has no beginning nor end. And this claim that he's making is partly metaphorical, and yet it's partly literal, right? He is a path to hope and joy and peace, that light of the world, but he is, literally is the light, and in him is no darkness. 1 Timothy 6.16 says it like this, God dwells in unapproachable light. No man has seen or can see him. And if you want to hear more about that, come back next week, because you remember Moses was on the mountain last week in Matt's message, and he's, the Ten Commandments God's giving him, but his face shone as a light, and Matt will expound more next week about the glory of God. But God decided to make his light visible. God sent his son into the world. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God. So that's the claim he's making but what is the contrast that he's making? What about light? What's the big deal about light and darkness? Because verse 12 says, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus claims to be the light. So let's look at what he is offering and what is the alternative he is comparing light to. And this is a metaphor that Jesus is using of good, versus evil, or right versus the wrong. The Bible refers to it as the domain of darkness. It's like trying to navigate life without having a true sense of reality. And I'm not sure if you've ever done that, if you tried to navigate in the dark. I have a lot of bad stories in my life about navigating in the dark. And I'm sure you have your own. But if you walked into a room that was dark. You don't know what's in there, right? Is there a person in here waiting for me? Are there rodents on the ground crawling around? Or worse, is there a Lego in there that I might step on, <laughs> right? And if you have never stepped on a Lego in the dark, you will never know the depths of where your language would go. It's a good test of your faith and walk in Jesus. But you're apprehensive, you're cautious, you're on your heels. But one flip of the light switch and all is revealed. There's a calmness, there's a confidence, you know where to walk. And this is the metaphor that Jesus is using about light and darkness. When I was a young kid, we were staying at my grandma's house and my Aunt B was also at my grandma's house at that time. And at night, I was maybe four or five years old, you get a little scared in the dark, so I got up and I thought I would go to my parents' room, but it's dark and I'm in a strange place, so I go into a room and I get in the bed. And Aunt B was in that bed, and Aunt B thought I was the dog getting in the bed. And one big kick to my ribs. And I was on the floor. And she said the next thing she heard was not the sound of a dog whimpering. It was a human, oh, and that was me. And from that on in life, I could get anything I want from Aunt B. 
I was, there was nothing I could ever ask from Aunt B that she would say no. But darkness is a problem, right? It's like overt versus covert. You know, overt is something that's open or plainly seen. Covert is something that's secret or hidden. We know this in life because nocturnal animals are very covert animals, right? Rats, bats, cats, <laughs> raccoons, opossums. But how do you know the light has come out in the morning? Because you hear birds sing. You see butterflies open their wings. Some of us know this because we have kids, and we have some overt kids, and we have some covert kids, right? So you walk into your kid that's an overt kid, and there's just clothes sitting right out in the middle of the floor. He's not trying to hide anything. It's just a pile of dirty clothes. But you walk into your covert kid's room, it looks great. Wow, my kid, it's like perfect. And then you open the closet door, and everything that that kid's been not doing in life just like falls out right into the floor. You, uh, some of you have over kids and when a light or a lamp breaks in the house in the other room, you have the kid that's like, I'm so sorry, I did it. They come running in the room, it was an accident. And then you have the covert kid, a light breaks and you never hear anything after that. And they're all of a sudden finding the broom and they're sweeping it up and their hope is, no one will even know that there was ever a light here, you know? I would categorize myself as an accidental overt kid. And what that means, I tried to be covert, but I was so bad at it, it was like I was just telling my parents, right? I would be the kid that was sweeping up the broken glass to hide the fact that I had broken something, but I was so bad, my parents would walk in, but they would be like, oh, what a good kid. He broke it. He's cleaning it up. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was doing. Or when the neighbor's cat was found missing, you know, that was, you know, uh, your parents are like, what happened to the neighbor's cat? Do you know anything about that? The neighbors have a cat? <laughs> you know, ask, answering questions with questions, just like Jesus did. That's what I did. You know, answer a question with a question. And, uh, but eventually, I was found out. Jesus says he is the light, and what he's saying is, I am the active force that dispels darkness. So his holiness dispels impurity. His joy dispels sorrow. It's his life that dispels death. So let me give you four darknesses that the Bible talks about that's a contrast that I think will help give insight to why it's so important that the light of the world has come. A darkness that we read in the Bible is that we live in a dark world. Sin is rampant, and I don't think we need to convince you of that this morning. Murder, neglect of the poor, trafficking, shoplifting at local convenience stores. Ephesians 6 says it like this, sin is rampant for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. 
And we know this because most crime around us happens in the cover of darkness. As a matter of fact, if someone gets caught doing something during the day that's illegal, we kind of make fun of them like they thought they could just do that in broad daylight right out in front of everyone. And when we watch these shows that bad things happen, we're like, what are these people doing out by themselves in the middle of the night? As a matter of fact, don't you think when you see someone that's famous or a sports athlete, something bad happens in their life and they get arrested? Isn't it your first thought that it was probably two in the morning that when it happened? As a matter of fact, Tony Dungy, who coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then he coached the Indianapolis Colts, he would have this top five list that he would talk to his guys about that would keep them off the cover of USA Today. Now, if you're under 18 years old, that would be like being on Twitter, okay? USA Today, Twitter, you can kind of, but he would be like, you don't want to be on the cover. And you know what his number one that Tony Dungy would say? You know what it is. Nothing good happens after midnight. Don't be out after midnight. John 3, 19 explains this a little further. The light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And if you were in a dark room and you stepped out into the light, you know your eyes have to adjust. And what Jesus is trying to say is don't get used to the darkness. So the dark world. <clears throat> the second is dark hearts. While we can identify that there are sin and wrong things going around us, the hardest thing for us is to identify our own dark hearts. Jeremiah 17.9 says it this way, the heart is more deceitful than anything else, and it's incurable. Who can even understand it? Our hearts need the illumination of Jesus. And to expound on that, the third one is the dark deeds. Ephesians 5 says, For you were once in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Don't practice in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. And there is nothing that will bring more bondage in your life in the, than that of living in secret sin. And God is saying, listen, the secret deeds in your heart, expose them to the light. And if you're vulnerable enough to confess your dark deeds to God, he says that's where freedom is found. And here's the funny thing. We act like God doesn't know, right? That's the way we typically maneuver in life. But you know what? Your husband may not know, but God knows. Your children, they may not know, but God knows. Your pastor he may not know, but God knows. And he says, let God dispel the darkness. And as we've talked at Valley many times, another great step you can take is find a trusted friend so that sin will stop having a hold on you. Have someone in your life that brings light, and it's a trusted friend that you can go in confidence and share those things that you struggle with them. Bring them in to the light, that is where freedom is found. And then the fourth one that he's comparing the light of the world is our dark minds. Listen to 2 Corinthians. But if God 
But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says it this way, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who said, Let there be light, says, I can open your minds, I can open your hearts, and I can put out the darkness. And this is what God was trying to rescue these people from, the dark hearts, the dark minds, the darkness of this world. So the last thing we'll look at is, so what, why is this important? And that is the call that Jesus is calling them to. And Jesus expounds on this in John chapter 12, in verse 46. The call, he says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. What is the call? And that is to walk in the light. When I was just a young kid in elementary, we would go on vacation sometimes up to the upper parts of Michigan. There was Petoskey, Michigan. Uh, Lake Petoskey was a place we would go on vacation. The first time we ever went there, I was probably like eight or nine years old. <clears throat> and we didn't get there till night. And so we pull into the cabin, and it's all darkness out there. And as a kid, we walked out to see the lake that's right in front of the cabin. So we go on the dock. And at night, the lake just seems so vast. Like you couldn't see the other side of the lake. And the waters looked very intimidating. And I remember standing right at the edge of the dock, looking down and feeling nervous at night. Like if I fell in, this would be the end of me. So the next morning, the light comes out, and you get to see. Well, first of all, the lake wasn't that big. You could see the other side of the lake. But what I didn't know is as I stood at the dock the next day, that is if I stepped off of the dock, it would be the same as stepping off this stage. The water was this high. And you could actually walk on that lake an eighth of a mile out before the water was over your head. But when it was dark, it seemed very intimidating. But when the light revealed what was actually there, it was something that we enjoyed for the rest of the week because we could play in a lake that we could go out almost an eighth a mile and play in. Jesus says this, walk in the light. In 1 John 1.7, John echoes this again. He says, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There was this darkness that they were walking in that gave them a picture of reality that was not true. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> Jesus was speaking to an audience that was relying on a broken system to rescue them. The system they were relying on for light in front of these candelabras was a system that was not going to dispel the darkness. The rescue for sin, the rescue for brokenness, is to step into the light. 
And that light will illuminate our world, it will illuminate our hearts, it will illuminate our minds, and it'll bring relationship and salvation. There's like this wall that's standing between us, a God that lives in unapproachable light and no darkness is in him at all. And here we are, and we're like, I would like to be part of that, and there's this wall of sin and darkness of our own hearts and a reality that we live in that's nothing like this. And the rescuer says, I have created a path that you no longer have to live in darkness. You can actually be with the one who lives in unapproachable light. And that was the salvation that he brought. That was the grace of God that entered and stepped into our world that was willing to dispel the darkness and bring light into our life. And he says, the call is that you should walk in that light. But not just walk in that light. He wants you to reflect this light. He is going to repurpose you from a darkened heart into someone that actually can be the light. And this is so fascinating because in Matthew, Jesus gives the command to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. Now, you know what's so fascinating about this? There are seven I am statements in John that say, I am the bread of life, resurrection of life. None of those except for this one does he say, you are. He doesn't ever say you are the bread of life. He doesn't ever say you are the resurrection and the life or you are the true vine. But this one, he says, you are the light of the world. And what is so fascinating about that, because didn't we just read that this is very exclusive, that he's the only light source of the world? But I think the picture that is amazing, it's like the sun and the moon. The sun is our light source, but if you go out at night, you will see the moon. The moon has no light source in of itself, but it is the light that you see at night. And in this way, we reflect Jesus Christ. That is the way we are the light of the world. It reminds me when I was a kid, and one of the things that was very popular in the late 70s and the early 80s when I was a kid is everything became glow in the dark. I mean, everything we had as kids had, like if you had a Frisbee, they came out with a glow in the dark Frisbee. How many of you had the watch that they made the little things on it glow in the dark? Did you have that one? Did any of you have the glow-in-the-dark stars and stuff on your ceiling? Well, my favorite glow-in-the-dark was those little guys that you throw against the wall and they climb down the wall, and they made those glow-in-the-dark. And my parents one year, for a gift, got me those, and we were so excited. It was so cool that we could see like these little green things crawl down the wall. But you know what happens after you play with those for 30 minutes without the glow in the dark? They lose their stickiness, right? So you got to use the soap and the water. But after we played with them for 30 minutes in the dark, you couldn't see them anymore. And so our parents showed us that you would have to go take those little guys and stick them under the lamp. Do you remember that? And you'd have to let them sit for a while before you could play with them again. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God which is in heaven. The way that we reflect the light is to walk in the light. Just like the light source for glow-in-the-dark things needs something to give it light, or the moon reflects the sun, that is the way that we do it. 
And I don't want to steal Matt's message next week, but he's going to talk about this, that that's what happened with Moses. Moses didn't like, how do I get my face all shine and bright? Moses didn't even know at the beginning that that was the case. That was the result of being in the glory of God. The purpose and the reason that you have in this world is to be that light. No matter what your job is, no matter where you fall on the depth chart, you can be the light of the world. And you do that by following him, by getting to know him, by living a life of faith in him. And the more that you're around the light, you don't have to try to be the light. You become a reflection of Jesus. You become the light. And that is a pretty awesome thought that you can be a light to the world. The more you spend with the light source, the more you become the light. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praise of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What makes his light so marvelous? You are free to see the reality of how things are. This is what you were created to do, to worship and enjoy God forever. As a matter of fact, I like how John Piper says it, that you were created to worship by enjoying God forever. The greatest thing you could ever do is enjoy God forever. And I think we can all agree on this. Because of God's common grace, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a good meal. You can like steak without following God, or for my kids, chicken nuggets. You can enjoy a great beach vacation without following God. You can enjoy intimacy without being a follower of God through common grace. But you know what? You will never experience the fullness of all these things outside of Jesus. You will always hit this ceiling, and it's a low ceiling. And it never you never get to enjoy the full extent for God has you in life. But a mind and a heart and a community that's changed by the light, all of a sudden, a good steak, a good marriage, a good vacation, they lead you to worship of something greater. What happens is, instead of worshiping the steak, you worship a generous God. You get to enjoy the one who created it, and you get to say, how cool is that, that God even made this up? That's why I'm not a vegetarian. Why would God make steak taste so good if he didn't want us to enjoy it? Or this might be controversial. Why would God make animals taste so good? And why would he make my food source, eat your food source, and turn it into something like steak. Isn't that amazing? Cows eat grass and make it into steak? That was not in my notes. I, that's, this is totally just, I'm very hungry right now. 
Let's put that on our Super Bowl party list for tonight. But what it does is like, what else does God have for me to enjoy? I mean, this gives you a whole new perspective on life. The mountains, the oceans, the air we breathe, we start to enjoy them in a greater way than we, and, and, and without God, it's like, I mean, who wants to worship just the water itself? A mind and a heart and a community changed by the light looks like this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who receive me, they'll never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. The light of life. Let's pray. God, your gifts to us are so abundant. The light of the world made himself to be flesh and live among us and was willing to display his glory right amongst us. And then he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity not only to know this light, have relationship with this light, but now you can be the light. You can deliver the joy and the hope and the peace that no one could know on their own. Thank you for reaching down. We struggle to walk in the light. Help us not to resolve that struggle by making a list of things each morning that we try to accomplish to attain the light. May we look at the grace and the mercy and the love of God and embrace and receive the light. Maybe spend daily time in your word getting to know the light, getting to enjoy the light of the world. And we look forward to Revelation where we will be with you and there will not be need for any of these other light sources because you are the light. And we will enjoy the glory of God forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.